stop. No, that's because it is remarkable. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you idiot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, all right then. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Bond Daft Podcast. This is the very first remotely recorded episode. I'm in my lovely abode as usual, however, on my own and remotely joined by fellow Bond aficionados, Francis Murphy. Yo, yo, yo. <laughs> I wasn't sure if there was a delay there or something, or maybe that was the case. Uh, <laughs> and Steve McCall. I think I'm quieter because I'm on the East Coast and Edinburgh, far away from all you guys. So I'm going to shout a lot louder. Hello. <laughs> well, I, I heard you outside the window, actually, though. <laughs> and Gordon Webster. Good evening, Commander Barry and company. How are we all doing? Yeah, this is so strange, isn't it? This is weird. <laughs> it's the first, yeah, it's the first four-way uh, Skype podcast I think I've ever done. I suppose it's probably the first for us all, unless... Steve, in your broadcasting experience, have you done things like this? Uh, very, very rarely. Not recently, anyway. It's been a long time since I actually used Skype, which is why it took me about an hour to work out how the hell to use the thing. Yeah, yeah. I suppose for if you, you've maybe done some radio stuff that might be uh, not too diff- different with yeah, Collins or that's something. True. It, it feels like I'm back in a studio again on my own with a microphone. It's quite familiar, actually. You probably adjusted this uh, much better than us. Uh, yeah, okay, so... <laughs> How are we all doing, fellas? COVID-19's in full effect. Uh, self-isolation and all that. How are we doing? I've just played a lot of Skyrim and yeah. Oblivion. So you, like we spoke off air, Fran, you were playing through the entire Oblivion in like one or two days. And now you're into yeah. the next game, Skyrim, yeah. which is usually about a yeah. 200 hour game. Yeah, well, I mean, I've I've got 441 games to play through. <laughs> um, but I decided, I just thought to myself, you know, I need to have a backup plan in the pa- in the past in terms of movies, games, things to do, just in case there was an apocalypse. And now that yeah. there is a kind of a weird lockdown situation, I'm kind of glad because I've got so much material to do to to play with that, I'm, you know. But so and actually, it's quite nice to walk about an open world game when you can't go anywhere. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, and you can also kind of murder a lot in that game, which um, I hear is very frowned upon in uh, in our modern society. Yeah, so the, you've been your prepping mentality's kind of, you know, finally worked out for you, Fran. Then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's. It, I, I mean, obviously, it, we're in a completely unprecedented situation, but it's just. I think you got to, you got to kind of see that. The positives <laughs> in a weird way. Like, I don't really know how. There's no positives in in a way, but um, people often say, "Oh, I don't get much time to myself. I don't get a lot of time to do things." Well, my God, we've got it now. Yeah, you know? and it, it feels yeah. like uh, the world is suddenly telling us, "Look, all those things you wanted to do, all those um, you know instruments you wanted to learn, all those books you wanted to write. Well, here's the goddamn time. Do it." <laughs> yeah. It's a uh, scary time, man. But um, I'm, I'm start. It's reminding me actually. You think you hear about financial meltdown, the economy, um, all these these worrying scenarios, and you you think I thought about the likes of Stromberg and even Drax, the plans for world domination. This whole thing about you might remember the lines about the the human race is decadent. 
inevitably it'll destroy itself. And I thought that was Stromberg. And I think Drax said something similar. And it makes you think some of the time, are we destroying ourselves? You know, it's a, it's a scary time. And of course, no, you know, right, think, right. yeah. Gordon, Gordon here's a question a for you. like a reprieve, yeah. to be honest. It's kind of, we're all destroying the planet, you know, global warming, polluting and all that stuff. This is going to force us to stay indoors for two or three months and probably let the planet actually recover. So, yeah. it's a good thing. Apart from Brian, what what are you doing? It sounds like you're building a machine or something. Oh, sorry, sorry. Um, uh, I thought you'd gone away for a sandwich or something. I know. <laughs> you're making a lot of noise. Rolling a fag. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, oh, damn it. It's like either he wears a jacket that makes all sorts of noise when he talks, or he does this. God damn it! Just, oh, look at nice to be old. <laughs> I will. Don't this, worry. this is how I face the apocalypse, guys. Nice little roll up. But. Um, <laughs> Gordon means Steve Barry were talking about the idea that we are the the civilians in a Bond movie and the hit the mm-hmm. Bond megalomaniac has managed to release the virus. <laughs> and I know. So it's like Bond Bond do you know what it is? It's those angels of death, Blofeld's angels of death. He did warn that they were going to release the virus after they'd uh, been to his uh, little center at the top of the mountain. I did think of that as well. It's <laughs> yeah, really it's- strange. What do you think James Bond would be doing in a world where he was in lockdown? Like, how could he work from home? He would have a good drink and a smoke, wouldn't he? Would would he have to murder them with poison letters and things like that? Like, the enemies? I mean, how would he carry out his duties? Do you know what I mean? Because he's got to travel for his job. Does does license to kill MI6 agent count as key worker? I mean, I didn't say that. I'm the list of approved jobs. I mean, I'm on it, but I don't think Bond is. Yeah, uh, he interesting. Be, he, he may be getting eighty percent of his wage paid, and, and <laughs> struggling. <laughs> oh my god, that is yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's it's unprecedented. It is so bizarre. I feel like every day there's a new announcement that I just can't believe. You know, it slowly was a trickle effect. You know, the sports were all cancelled, films were moved. I think James Bond, they were the first to to sort of really make a big big move no time to die we kind of thought initially in that podcast we spoke about it last time that that seemed a bit extreme but they were just ahead of the curve really like they seen this coming yeah i'm regretting saying that now although oh yeah yeah far too long to wait they might actually have to delay it further i know the way things are going november might not be enough so like this is an interesting thought like, think about all those films that are getting delayed, you know, the big Disney films, Mulan and things like that, Black Widow, the the, the Marvel films and stuff like that. These films are all going to, they're probably going to want to come out in the cinema because they won't make their money on Netflix, not way not the need to, to break even. So these films are all going to be fighting for like a slot in amongst the timescales of all the films that were planned to come out then, probably. It just means gonna once be... this is all over, the cinema is going to be amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, gonna kick yeah. in a couple of months. Either that, or they just delete everything, so that it's essentially just a blank slate, and then you know the the sort of everything gets pushed. Every single release scheduled for twenty twenty one becomes a twenty 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 two release, and all that sort of stuff. It is unprecedented. It's so bizarre. Yeah, and TV is the same. You know, like all these Netflix have I think stopped recording uh, production and things like that, so nothing will be added unless. Uh, I don't know. I think some films are going to be digitally the ones that can afford to do it. 
have worked out they'll go on to streaming services to try and recoup some of the money. But yeah, it's it's madness. Yeah, yeah. And um, I got to say, really please, I'm sitting. I've been sitting here grinning from year to year. My jaw's now hurting, <laughs> but just to return to the podcast because it's been such a you know a hard time. Obviously, there's been it's been an even harder time for a lot of other people. But to to be able to do something like this again, I'm really stoked about this particular podcast. Yeah. It's great to be back in the 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 Bondaft game. <laughs> Yeah, the the COVID nineteen's not stopping the Bond Daft podcast. Yeah, as Fran yeah. said, what was the series that all civilization will just um, be gone? It'll be a wasteland, but our podcast is still streaming out over the radio. Exactly, exactly, crackling, yeah. crackling out of the radio, and then it'll be like the the four horsemen will come, and all else is gone, and it's just well, we are the four horsemen, maybe. <laughs> four horsemen we changed the name. Is that what we're doing? We're changing the name. Might sound like a. a Metallica podcast we do that <laughs> maybe we should set up a Metallica that's podcast that's for another day yeah yeah too many projects on the go we actually haven't said what film we're going to be uh, talking about and watching today probably should do that <laughs> film aren't we ah, that's the, uh, yeah I forgot well, about that I watched uh, film Thursday so nah, I didn't yeah. even realize we were watching a film no, I'm only kidding uh, For Your Eyes Only is the fifth Roger Moore film and it's the first of the 80s. We're in a new decade again, 1981. And this is the first of John Glenn's films and a similar trajectory for uh, that Peter Hunt had. Uh, if you guys remember, he was the editor for the first like five or six films. And he, no, the fifth, first five, and then became the editor, uh, the director for On Her Majesty's. Essentially, John Glenn has been doing that. He's been editor for the last few films and has now got his promotion to director. I think he did assistant director and, and things like that. Yeah, so new director. I think there's a lot of new cast and crew. Gordon is... Uh, I think we've got a different set director as well. We don't have Ken Adam. He's, I don't think he's back for this one, is he? No, Moonraker would be his last. I think it's Peter Lamont for this one. Right. And yeah. most of the films after were Peter Lamont, and I think Peter Lamont's son, I think, is now involved. Uh, certainly that or a similar part of the production. And, uh, and yeah. John Bass doesn't make a return for this one either? No, it's Bill Conti. Now, we, we, I think we discussed Bill Conti briefly in the Music of Bond podcast. He did the Rocky films, or some of the Rocky films. He did the Karate Kid and stuff. And yeah, different. Again, we remember how Marvin Hamlish and, and Spy Who Loved Me then George Martin and Love and I Die, they changed up a bit, but it worked quite well, so it'll yeah. you know, be interesting. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, I don't really remember this film. This is one of the ones, this and You Only Live Twice from before we did this project with the two that I, I never remembered as a child uh, seeing. Um, I'm certain that I think You Only Live Twice, I definitely hadn't seen this one. I don't remember if I have, which may say a lot about the film if I have seen it. Fran, have you seen this one? Um, yeah, um, although... I don't remember very much about it. Like I was kind of trying to, I, I was look, looking a little bit at um, trying to get an idea of what it was about again. Um, but I, I mean, there's things that I kind of remember. Like I remember um, the name. What's the name of the? Oh, I, I, it's gone right in my head. That's really irritating. Like just as I was thinking about it, there. I mean, I, I don't remember too much about it to be honest. Uh, I wonder. Yeah. It seems to be. I mean, the it's thing a Roger. It's a, uh, the thing that's unusual about it is it's a Roger Moore Bond film, and I'm usually um, quite sort of. Like, I remember 
the later Roger Moore films quite well and Live and Let Die for some reason, but this one I don't really, mm. don't really that seems remember a, it. For... Seems a common theme. Uh, Steve, have you seen this one? Do you know? Nope, this is a complete, as most of them are, I suppose, but yeah, this is a complete first for me. Really looking forward yep. to it, though. Yeah. Gordon, uh, are you wanting to set us up a little on where we're at with this film? What's what's the, what's the story going into this one? Yeah, man, I think there was a conscious effort to get Bond a bit more grounded and less of a superhero after Moonraker, and I think that might have been part of the reason John Glenn was brought in, and he consciously made an effort to do that. Now, the the premise is there's a British spy ship. Um, it's disguised a fishing boat, a trawler called the St. George's, and it sinks in off the coast of Albania. And it was actually carrying on board a special top secret device called the ATAC. Coded, uh, that's like the code name for it, which um, is used to transmit orders to Polaris submarines. And if it falls into the wrong hands, the ATAC can, it can order the... British submarines to destroy each other and God knows what chaos. And so that this mysteriously sinks the ship and MI6 send Bond to recover the ATAC, but they, they can't do a, an actual official search because it's in Albanian territorial waters. And yeah, um, maybe maybe sounds like it's going to be a bit, a bit more like the the bond from the books, hopefully. There is some cool Fleming stuff in this book. I can't actually remember for you. I think for you is only a short story. And yeah, they did I, adapt certain elements, and they adapted certain elements from other Fleming books in, in this. From my very basic research, this one was one of the short stories. I think For Your Eyes Only was the name of a, a book of short stories with three different short stories, I think, I think possibly. And it was yeah. like another one. Like one of those and the For Your Eyes Only short story have been incorporated mainly into this film, but heavily, you know, changed the way that they have been for the last few Bond films. Uh, this film apparently is a bit of a a step back, not a step back, but like a stripping back of the sort of craziness that Moonraker brought to the table. I think they've kind of brought it back down to, I think they're trying to compare it. They tried to kind of emulate the early Sean Connery era films. Uh, as far as my research went, you know, it kind of explained it. The, the sort of thought was that, Okay, we 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 certainly did go a bit far. Laser battles in space might be pushing the plausibility that people really want. I mean, as Moonraker did well, it's not like they. I don't think they're wanting to shun that, but I think they realise we, we change it up again, bring it back down to a sort of more thriller kind of uh, story. So I think that's kind of what they were going for with this film, uh, from my understanding, of course. Well, uh, we'll see how it goes. I mean, my my favourite thing about well, one of my favourite things about the uh, Roger Moore era. <clears throat> is the 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 recurring character of General Gogol? I find him quite funny. Like, yeah, for some he's reason, like, he, he, He's quite an amusing actor. Like, uh, quite kind of hammy. Like, uh, I can't remember the name of the guy, but um, yeah, yeah Walter Gotteno. Yeah, I, I know he's in this again, and he's in them. He's he's in. Uh, I think isn't he in Octop- He's an octopusy as well, isn't he? And then, yeah, is he in? Is he in the last Moore film? Yeah, he's in a view to kill. Uh, You guys might be familiar with Julian Glover as well. He plays um, Ari Christatos. You'll know him from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And um, the Israeli actor Topol, he plays Columbo. And then you'll find out who these are once we watch the film, these characters. And the leading lady is Melina Havelock, played the French actress Carol Bouquet. 
Cool. Julian Glover, actually. But I was sorry, I was just going to say Julian Glover had a smaller role in Empire Strikes Back as well. I think there was one of the Star Wars trilogy. I think it was Empire. What was his role? He was the. I think he was one of the crew. Either the. It was either a. It was either a Star Destroyer or one of the. I think it was one of the Attack Walkers in Empire Strikes Back, possibly. Okay, cool. There we go. Uh, I suppose Empire Strikes Back was the year before this film. This was uh, Strikes Back was eighty, so yeah, probably been straight on from that to this. This film, obviously notable for the only time M has not appeared. I'm pretty certain the actor Bernard Lee passed away during the filming of this film. His scenes hadn't been filmed, so they decided out of respect to not recast for this film, and they got Tanner, I think, who's a sort of subordinate to sort of play the, the kind of yeah. role uh, of, of instructing Bond and things like that. So, yeah, it's uh, sad to... We've already seen M's last uh, Bernard Lee's last performance in Moonraker, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, a film with, without the character. It's kind of a, you know, how they deal with that. Uh, I think yeah. that might cover all the notable points before we go and watch the film, do you think, Gordon? Is there anything else that we should uh, mention? Yeah, man, I was just going to say that Bernard Lee died i think it was shortly before shortly after the film came out and i think that there was an attempt to include him but he wasn't well at the time and they they decided as kind of out of respect for the time being to not include him and say he's on leave and then the hope that bernard lee would recover for the next film which sadly he didn't yeah yeah what was the what was the problem with him was he was he not is it not alcohol issues or something that he had I'm not sure if at that time it was necessarily that. I presume health complications, which alcohol contributed to. But yeah, he was a um, bit of a drinker, Bernard Lee. But man, what a a great actor! And he's always the M for me when you think of the other the other actors that have played the character who've been great as well. I think Judy Dench is probably up there. I would say that's on a par. You know, she's she was in. You know, eight Bond films. I hadn't realised. I saw a stat today, which means she was she played Bond more than any other Bond. Played Bond. Uh, she sorry, she played M more than other any actor played Bond. Steve, yeah. Steve McCall's looking quite villainy at the moment in this very dark room. <laughs> I just see a like, light on. shadow. So yeah, as, how is mine looking? Because Steve is like, I can only just see the faint light in the background. There's no one there now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the rest of you guys look great. Um, I can see right up Fran's nose because I'm getting extreme close up. But beyond that, I know. Uh, uh, yeah, Fran, you're like I can just see your mouth. <laughs> really? Yeah, That's you're, so you're like weird. Have you not? Is there any way you can move it up the way, <laughs> like so we can see your actual face? Your chin is amazing looking. Without are you not able to do it without holding it? I suppose. No, it's kind of annoying. Like I'm actually resting my hand by putting the phone down for a second. Right. My, my desk is it's kind of difficult to to um like it keeps sliding around falling over and it just make noise so i'm just i'm just reading about bernard lee there um the reason bernard lee turned to alcohol is because his wife died in a fire jesus Didn't god so, um him and his wife were trapped in the bedroom in their cottage 1972 and he tried to get out and get get a ladder back to get his wife out but he couldn't get her and then the she died hell. in the fire. So, and then he was mugged, and just after that, he was mugged and robbed by two young people. So oh my god! Turned to drink, um, and then apparently he met Richard Burton, who helped clear his debts 
Um, and then obviously he then sort of moved on from there. Jesus, but, uh, that, that is grim. That is awful. Yeah, Bernard Lee's actually the. He's related to Johnny Lee Miller. The sorry, John. Well, Johnny Lee Miller, the actor. Uh, I think he's his godfather. Maybe. Yeah, he's maybe his uncle or godfather. Yeah, and he's wow. uh, he was in. Uh, it was elementary as well and other stuff. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. There's a connection I never thought I would make. Here's the thing, actually. I must have missed the, the brief or something, but I watched this film on Thursday evening a wee bit early. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to stick on with the audio commentary and see if we can get a few nuggets. And also yeah. just for a different kind of slant on it. I, I might Good watch one. bits of the, the actual thing, but yeah. Ah, that's a good idea. I think that will maybe assist with any extra trivia you want to bring that you already didn't have in your encyclopedia uh, of Bond in your in your brain already. Okay, I think we've uh, we've kind of covered this uh, preamble for this film. Now we are going to go and watch the film and come back and do our usual spoilerific thoughts and review of the film of giving it a rating at the end. Okay, we'll be back. Bye bye. And we are back from watching for your eyes only. Uh, yeah, this was um, this was an interesting film. My thoughts, kind of, there's many things that I liked about this film, and there's many things that I absolutely did not like. What do you guys feel? What's the temperature on this one? Fifty percent hot, fifty percent cold. I think. Yeah, I think we're all going to be the same. Steve, what was your thoughts? Yeah, I'm the same. I'm very much in the middle on this one. It felt a bit kind of middle of the roads, I suppose. Yeah. Um, maybe because it wasn't so megalomaniac as some of the previous ones have been. Um, but there were, there were inter- I'm sure we'll come up against some of the interesting points. The soundtrack was a huge letdown for me on this one. Don't know about anyone oh, else. I'm sure we'll I've, got, I've got it three times in my notes. Music abysmal, music abysmal. <laughs> <laughs> so bad. Yeah. Gordon, what was your take? On rewatching it again, uh-huh. I, I've always liked it. Overall, I, it's a film that, that pleases me a lot, and I there, there's a few negatives, but I, um, overall, I, I've always been very positive with this film. And it's funny because it's one of the the latter Bond films I saw, and I think the ones I tend to love the most are the ones I saw as a kid. So um, the fact that I've I've always kind of held this one quite high. I, I love its down to earth tone. Actually, I actually think it's one of Roger Moore's best. Maybe not one of his best Bond films, but one of his best performances as Bond. See, to be honest, right? I, uh, you know, I, I think this, the whole kind of first half of the film to me was a bit was a bit boring, really, and, and a bit, you know, it was just a bit silly and, and whatever. Uh, you know, Roger Moore's part. But, performance and bits in it save it obviously but I think if you were to watch it from about halfway through um, or maybe two thirds the last section is fantastic Uh, that whole last bit where they're going up Bond is going up that cliff face and trying to get into this village at the top and that whole sequence of events right the way up to the very last second with General Bogle like that that, um, that Soviets and Brits have a draw at the end and then the, the crazy Margaret Thatcher cameo scene where, where <laughs> someone else plays her. Uh, wow. was all great. Like, I loved all that. But the bits before that, it was, a, uh, it was just, 
I don't know. It just kind of yeah. felt like I could take it or leave it. But the yep. end bit was great. That's why I'm 50-50. If it was all like the last third or the last half, t- roughly, I would have given it a much higher score. Yeah, okay. Okay, so uh, more or less, I would say three of us kind of agree. Gordon's more on the positive end. We're in the middle. <laughs> Interesting. Well, let's, uh, we'll, we'll, let's go into this one in more detail then. Uh, I feel like the first area I want to tackle this time, to me, the main thing that stuck out this in this film was the stunt work. This was a film that I feel like, and we've said for other films like uh, Ken Adams's um, set design has been the reason that the film has been the, got an extra star, or Scaramanga's perfor- Christopher Lee's performance in one film brought a film up. To me, the stunt work is half the reason this film. The stunts were tr- fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. The skiing scene, for example, I think was a, a great sort of. I don't know if that was influenced by the fact that the Winter Olympics had been the year before, but that all that kind of stuff was fantastic. Yes, yes, yeah. I, I did like that. And the mix of different Winter Olymp- Olympic uh, disciplines interests me. I was kind of intrigued to see what else they would bring in. You know, you did bobsled and skiing, of course. <laughs> the sort of long jump, I think it was. And uh, yeah, there was ice hockey for a moment. Um, yeah, it was, uh, think, it, was it was weird. I think the the bobsled being one thing, the that lovely little village which I think was in Italy in the winter beginning the title sequence of the mention of Tracy, Blofeld, there was a lot of elements of Honor Majesty's Secret Service that were kind of reawakened if you like in this film and I think maybe part of the reason for that is John Glenn the editor of that film and in some ways you could say this is was a natural sequel to, I know it is a yeah. sequel to Honor Her Majesty's but um, it's like the direct sequel in certain ways or even when Bond's with count, the Countess on the beach and um, she subsequently dies like Tracy's eyes but also Bondy's his attire is almost exactly like Lazenby at the beginning of Majesty's this kind of frilly dress shirt and it's such a cool look for um, Moore as well I think his his look as Bond in this film there's good points and bad points such as yeah. his clothes, but I think he looked he looked the business in that scene, I think. And that was one of many there was a lot of things that really harked back to I think the down to earth and scene's tone as well harked back to that film. Yeah, I, I like the thriller feeling that um I, I commented when we were talking about the film that it felt like the eighties action films that started coming out over the next over that decade. Obviously this was the early eighties, so this might have influenced some of the stuff that was starting to come out, but you know, your diehards were later to still to come and Cliffhanger. I could see a lot of even there's a there's a couple of Jackie Chan films that I could see some of the the action, um the, the sort of craziness of it. I could completely see where uh, it, it fit right in and amongst those films, different from the previous films that we've already seen. They were, I think, it, it substituted character and it substituted real, real plot. I feel like this film was a sequence of mad events, kind of strung together very loosely. And in some ways, I didn't mind that because I was enjoying what I was seeing a lot of the time. But there was an element of like, what's going on, and why does why did that have to happen? You know, I don't know if you all felt the same or what. I, I yeah, I, I don't um I don't quite agree saying about it's um kind of loosely thrown together. But to be honest, maybe part of the reason I appreciate it more is maybe because it took me many viewings to fully understand the plot. You know, <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's the case. This is me watching it possibly for the first time. And the thing about this film is... I'm not sorry, I don't want that to sound badly. You guys don't understand the plot. It's not that at all. It's simply because I watched a lot of Bond films. Come off, come off. Get him out. (laughs) Just just stop it. Very rude there, Gordon. Very rude indeed. Yeah, so that was one of the things that 
you mentioned, Gordon, this felt like a sequel to On Her Majesty's. To me, it felt a bit like, I don't know if it's a sequel or a reboot type, but there was a lot of in, like things like merging of From Russia With Love, I felt I got some of that. It, kind of the search for the, 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 the lect- what was it, the lectern in that film. It felt like that was what was kind of going on with this, with the ATAC, and obviously the Soviets being involved. There was a Thunderball feeling stuff. There was this section underwater with all of the the shark and the sort of fight. You know, it was a lot of different Bond. It was kind of greatest hits again feeling uh, film. Yeah, it did actually feel that way. But <clears throat> I think that's why, like, the Bond that I like is the Bond at the end. Like, that, that sort of James Bond. And I think there's more of that in the, the later. Um, you get a bit more of that in some of the later Moore films. <clears throat> I like it when the Russians are involved and, you know, there's some sort of big, not a, it doesn't always have to be a megalomaniac, but I like the fact the Russians were after this bit of kit and it was spy versus spy and all that kind of thing. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's um, let's tackle the very opening scene then, the pre-title sequence. What did you think of that? Well, well I, I started off quite powerful. I thought I liked, I did, I really liked the reference to on Her Majesty's reference to Tracy because it's the first really scene of that and it's it's kind of I felt a bit about time you know it's yes, it's been a yeah. long time coming yeah it was a bit of an odd setup yeah um but it was um I mean the the, the stuff with Blofeld and the remote controlled <laughs> helicopter it, it it was slightly ridiculous um <laughs> it felt more it felt more comic than anything particularly dropping them down the chimney that was I mean i I don't think you're meant to laugh at that, but I found that hilarious. I think you were. I think that was a fuck you to Kevin McClory. That was, I think that oh, was right. a, I think so. Yeah, and that was, um, we don't need Blofeld, fuck you. <laughs> and, and I was just going to say, did you notice at the end in the cast list, it didn't say Blofeld, it said bald man in wheelchair. And the reason yeah. for that, it turns out, was Can't due to the, yeah, they, they couldn't, they still at that point, 1981, could not use the, the name Blofeld, they couldn't use the name Spectre, have any reference really to all those events from the original Thunderball yeah. dispute. And yeah. um, But John Glenn said, because I noticed this in the audio commentary, one of his aims was to um, give Rogers Bond more of a serious tone and to bring him back to the roots a bit. And he wanted, he wanted to, um, he said, he used the word continuity, saying he wanted the continuity of having Blofeld back, but obviously it was limited to just the pre-title sequence. But um, yeah, I thought I really loved the, the how it, it showed you um, Tracy's grave. It showed you, it didn't quite show you Bond's face at first, it just showed his legs some walking up. It had, it said we have all the time in the world. I love the fact that it was Moore's Bond, so it was a very different one, but that was the first sign. He looked very somber at the grave at the beginning when he's looking yeah. at the grave. And then it does kind of go out Make a slide into, you know, the ridiculousness. But can you um, imagine? I don't. I don't understand. Did you hear the line? Blofeld once he um, manages to turn the tables and Blofeld. Blofeld's like begging him to put him down. He says, "I'll buy you a delicatessen in stainless steel." I don't. I still don't understand the significance of that. He's like, "Put me down! Put me down, Mister Bond." It's almost like <laughs> it the piss out of Blofeld a bit. It's like it was. It was. It was totally. Um, Stripping the character down to just being a complete idiot. Uh, I actually didn't like that. I thought it was a bit tacky, if I'm honest. Um, I felt like it's kind of like this is their own films, their legacy, and they're kind of like trying to piss all over it because of some guy that's kind of ruined it for them off, off film, you know, off the screen. I, I, I'm not, I wasn't a fan of it. 
Uh, also, can you imagine if that was the sequel to uh, On Her Majesty's and that's how Diamonds Are Forever started? <laughs> well, part of the thing is, Steve, it wasn't the best way for Blofeld to go out because until they rebooted him in Spectre, that was the end for Blofeld. And it felt like, you know, a real anticlimax. You didn't even see his face. And it's almost the same as in Diamonds Are Forever. That was a real anticlimax of Bond disposing of Blofeld. The only good thing about that was the fact that it wasn't what did they die and it left, you left him hanging there and you're thinking is he going to come back but yeah I do, I do agree with what you're saying Steve it, it, it was a bit comical and but I like the, some of the humour in that scene as well uh, and again it's one of these pre-titles um, not directly related at all to the, the main movies just like a wee mini movie which I liked it's alright see to go to what you were saying about continuity Gordon I agree with you on that like I I, I love continuity in franchises. I, I like I, it's one of my favourite things. Uh, obviously, world building and all that kind of thing. And I like the fact that that direct reference, but it was also reference in itself. Like you've got Bond throwing the hat on the hat stand. You know what I mean? You've got these little things that that you know. I like the fact that the even though um, uh, M wasn't there, you still had the same the same bunch of guys around who are all getting really old at this point, which I think is kinda endearing. Like you've got Q and then you've got that minister. He's just called the minister, isn't he? He's always yeah. there. And it's like a bunch of kind of bumbling old guys that are, yeah, especially yeah. the end scene trying to get Bond on the phone, you know? That's um, great, yeah. Yeah, I loved it and um I the defence minister he was back again on our recurring character. I love um Tanner, the chief of staff's getting dead exasperated upon he is as well and all he does is he, he, the defenseman just sort of keeps mumbling, mm, mm, he just keeps agreeing with what Tam says, he just keeps yeah. going, mm, like that. Well, he's just like kind of, it's a very, very old guy. I mean, by the time you get to like, I can't remember if he's in, um, uh, what do you call him, uh, who is Timothy Dalton's era, but I remember like an Octopussy and then, um, what was the last um, Moore film called again? Like, they're extremely old then. Do you know what I mean? Like, they're just, they're like just practically like taken out of the nursing home for like their scenes. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? They're so old. Um, but I like I like the minister. He's, he he gets more and more crotchety as the thing goes on. Yeah. Just, Another thing. Uh, so the, it was the chief of staff. He, they said the M was on leave, and um, played with this um, older guy James Villiers. He, he was very. He has attitude towards Bond. He didn't seem to like Bond, but I think. For, I mean, Steve, you called him Tanner, because I think he's meant to be Bill Tanner from the novels, and of course, Bill Tanner as a more developed character was played by Michael Kitchen and Goldeneye and The World's Not Enough, and he was like, he was like the Tanner from the book, he was Bond's pal, and a guy he socialised with, but this Tanner was, he was like, his superior, and he didn't take any Bond's shit. I like the Tanner in Goldeneye, um, it's the way he's talking about M, he's like, what is the evil queen of numbers won't let you play it is the line he says and then yeah. M's standing behind them and she's like yeah, it's, quite, it's just a good moment I think I think they, they there's kind of good humour there this Tanner I think I think I read that the actor was thinking he was going to get to play M eventually but they didn't go with him I don't know if he was too young for the, the role or something like that I think he was a bit frustrated because he felt he was going to get kind of propped up to be M eventually yeah uh, so yeah, moving on then from the pre-title sequence, we had the theme song. Obviously, this will tie into the music, I suppose. So we could maybe talk about that as well. What are we? What are we is it Sheena Easton? It was Sheena Easton. Yeah, I yeah. didn't like it. Yeah. I thought it was a bit of a kind of whaley, cheesy 
ballads. I'm, I'm, it's not one of the best anyway. Yeah, boring. I, I kind of agree. Very boring. Boy, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's what I'm just going to do all this podcast. I'm just going to disagree with everything you guys are saying. I'm sorry. <laughs> I feel like that's... I'm, like that. I'm in my comfort zone. I'm not in the house. I'm just going to say whatever I want. No one tells me what to do. Seriously, um, I, I like it. I don't think it's one of the best in the Bond catalogue. And, and they were, as we discussed in our Music of Bond podcast, they started to take a wee bit of a turn after Man of the Golden Gun um, becoming a bit more baldy, you could could say a bit um, more, just more like pop songs rather than classic Bond sound songs. I can see where you're coming from. It was all right. Yeah. Do, yeah. Do you know, I, I think I think this is very much a case of love is blind, and I think when you're a, when you're a true like fan of something, like really like you know you're you love it privately. You know what I mean? Like you 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 can't it's like liking a person. You don't always see the flaws. Do you know what I mean? You, you just you just you just love it no matter what. I'm a bit like that with obviously things I like as well. Like, well, uh, yeah, but Gordon's not exactly like always. You've usually got critics. You can feel well, where it's due. I would say, but, it's but just it, is the, it is the difference between like a casual viewer of something and a fan. I think that it's very it's very different perspectives, isn't it, that you get because like I, it's, there's a lot of people who hate Star Trek and just can't stand it, and people say to me things like, "How could you watch that?" How can you watch that? And I'm, but whereas I absolutely love it, you know, and it's yeah, yeah, I think, yeah. you know, where you've got you've got it's good that we've actually got audience casts. If we're doing Star Trek or we're doing Bond, we've got someone who likes the thing. Do you know what I mean? Well, that's the got, thing. That's the operative word. Like I said, I I like the song. I do like the song. But I said also that it's um it's more like a pop song rather than a memorable James Bond theme. That easily maybe just been something in the charts so I, I get where you guys are com- coming from with it yeah. yeah and also Sheena Easton actually appeared in the title screen I think you mentioned that Gordon before in the preamble uh, Morris Binder obviously decided just you know what I'm going to put you in the actual title screen what do we, what do we think of that I thought it was that, was, a, that was something novel at least I could appreciate that we sort of shake up having her in there was it's a shame the song wasn't any good but it kind of <laughs> It was a bit of a change with the pre-titles. It was better than having the sort of silhouetted naked woman holding a gun type thing. So it was it was a bit of a shake-up. I like that much. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, it was nice to have a change. I mean, one of the one of the things I do like about Bond, though, is that it's one of the few places that you will be guaranteed to see a naked woman with a gun. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's kind of a, you know... <laughs> go to cater through. to the audience of men who want to see the naked woman with a gun porn. Well, I, I think it's, there's something... You know, it's interesting if we, if we kind of try and unpack what that's all about psychologically. Like, I think the idea of, of beauty and danger being combined as an image can be quite quite captivating to an audience. I think it probably sums up Bond as a as a character essentially, isn't it? Tits well, I suppose guns. he's I suppose he's the the male equivalent, handsome and dangerous. Do you know what I mean? And then you've got the beautiful like femme fatale. What does that mean? <laughs> I mean, it means what it means, doesn't it? I would uh, say what impressed what impressed me more about the Fear Eyes Only theme. It wasn't so much the song itself in the title sequence, but although Bill some of Bill Conti's score is questionable. I liked the the bits where it did have slow brass led versions of that song. I thought that worked really well, and the bits where he used the Bond theme, I thought worked really well. I think the certainly the second half of his score was particularly good, and there was bits that did sound a bit more like John Barry. The, the first half not quite so impressive, but you could even see certain bits reminded me of Rocky. 
like the the winter um the ski chase and yeah. and stuff around that part of the film yeah that what's like rocky's what in the late 70s and then the other ones were the early 80s that feels exactly an apt comparison isn't it like it felt like a film that was made in the early 80s and to me it was to its detriment a little uh, i just couldn't get on board with it i found it grating at points and i just it was distracting for me i was like yeah. looking at these awesome you know car chase sequences and then a ski chase sequence and then there's this horrendous i felt horrendous music uh, to kind of coincide with it it didn't mesh very well for me but maybe an audience at the time might have accepted it because it was maybe the music of films from that time and that was you know it wasn't seen as as jarring as it is for me now. Yeah, but that, that, that to me is another example of the complete shift from the first half of the film to the second. Uh, the music completely changed as well. I mean, I've got to be honest, like, I have no interest in talking about anything from the first half of this film, really. Like, I, 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 I'm more focused on the set. Like, I started to really enjoy it and was, like, glued to the screen from that, 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 the, the cliff climb section onward, well, the cliff climb section itself was superb, incredibly good, and it didn't involve any gadgets or gimmicks or anything, and it had the tension like of those little um, uh, hooks getting hammered out the cliff. That was all yep. it was. It was cl- a climbing dr- fight, a climbing like battle. Do you know what I mean? If you can imagine that, and I just loved it. I, I mean, that to me is what I would watch the film again for that, for the fact that it's got that whole ending sequence in it. Basically, for yeah. before that, but I'm not. Yeah, you know, I, I don't really feel like I, I have anything. I, I, all I could say is the music was iffy at the start. I didn't really get fully what was going on. There was some good bits, like when they went underwater, and it was like a horror film, when the, the bodies were all floating around and things like that. There was some good bits, and the, there was some funny bits, like when they tried to run them over with the boat. I mean, I just thought to myself, <laughs> like, like overkill. You know, like why would why would you do that? Why would you think that was even? They could just swim down, you know. I mean, that's just put... <laughs> but like, apart from that, I'd be reaching I, to talk about things from the first bit, first half. I was, yeah, I was struggling to follow the logic of what they were doing with that <laughs> a little. Uh, yeah. It looked phenomenal. The actual sequence was shot so well. I think John Glenn's directorial, <coughs> um, like placing of camera and the scenes were great. Mm-hmm. But I, the logic of some of the actual uh, characters' motivations that I was kind of not following a little. Yeah, oh. I was just going to say, well, I, I suppose at the start, what I did enjoy, because obviously quite often the, you always get a car chase right at the very start. It's usually Bond in a massive sports car being followed by bad guys in some other big car. This was a 2CV being chased by two ladder Reavers, <laughs> which I thought was actually quite refreshing. It was like shit car being chased by two other really shit cars. It was... It was yeah. actually quite that. It was, it was a, that was a nice little shake-up. Was, I don't know if that was intentional or not, but because obviously the the sports car came straight afterwards. But that little sequence, I was like, you know what, that that changes things up slightly. Yeah, I think there was an intention. They wanted to blow up that car at the start so that they didn't have to rely on all the gadgets and all that because it's been done before. So that was their way yeah. of introducing something new. And I, yeah, I, I'm with you on that completely. Actually, that was that was quite cool and quite fresh. Again, stunt chase and and. That was where the mm-hmm. film was at its peak, at its strength. Yeah, well, and another positive is the lack of gadgets. Bond used his wits and his ingenuity as a spy mm-hmm. to get himself out of a lot of situations. And yeah. the you know the fact that the the Lotus was there, which was a nice um, hard back to spy. Who of me, really good, but 
Yeah, Bond didn't have to. He had some great exchanges with Q, though. I love the, I love the identogram and the, the Q lab. Uh, there's great chemistry, again, between um, Moore and Desmond Lowell and his Q. I love the dialogue there and the, the thing with Q um, pressing the wrong button, the lips are kind of too full and <laughs> the, the look in Moore's face is kind of like raising his eyebrows. It's good in this stinging in the rain, you know. But you see, you see all the, the usual um, weapons and all all the the, the cure branch gadgets getting used the guy with the arm and that's quite cool i loved oh, i really loved the bit where bond goes goes into the confession booth and he oh, says yeah. forgive me father for i have sinned and q's next to him and he says that's have we seen my old q undercover before i don't, I don't think, think so. so no i you don't think so either that's what i thought was quite interesting what's so funny about it is the elaborate nature of what q's gone through so he's gone over there taking the identity of a, of a orthodox priest gone into a church put a beard on like how did they say to the church you know <laughs> a new priest coming from somewhere I mean just like, like sat through confessions for two hours before Bond turned up uh, but the thing is was Q performing normal priest duties before so that you wouldn't <laughs> you know what I mean? like you wouldn't be under yeah. suspicion like having to say mass and all that yeah, he's probably getting frustrated when innocents were coming in and he was like, oh god, I need to keep doing this. When is Bond going to get here? So yeah, yeah. <laughs> just imagine Q giving real confessions. He's like, oh, for goodness sake, get out of here. <laughs> but yeah, you know, actually I had a thought for a feature we could do or, or something somebody should do um, when Gordon was talking about Bond's wits and I definitely think that was in this, but I noticed like there was that section where he nearly gets shot and then BB threw the gun out of the guy's hand, right? Now, there's so many points in, like you could pause a Bond film and say, like you could put a really serious voice over and turn the screen red and say, "And Bond would have died if not for the inter- like the interruption or or intervention yeah, of this yeah, character, yeah. right?" Because I think you'd have hundreds of them throughout the films, like where Bond, <laughs> like despite like how good he is as a spy and all this kind of thing, there's a point where he would would have objectively been murdered by the enemy if not for an untrained civilian yeah. <laughs> who I just know. happened to be there at that particular moment. You know? uh, the lucky scrapes of James Bond. Uh-huh. I mean, uh, he gets through life mostly by luck a lot of the time. As well, not mostly, but I'd say he's got a good percentage of luck as well as his own ingenuity. Do you know what I mean? Like, he just happens to be, you know, he's got that that toss of the coin where it always lands his way up. You know, it, it's kind of where the cartoon sort of feeling side of it comes in. I think that sort of like slight silliness of, but yeah, it, it's funny at the same time, and I think they're they're fine for that. I like that about it. Oh, so um, Bond is not dated anymore because um, you've had a, you've even had a reference in this film to when the guys like they're about to obviously watching Bond climb in the cliff and they've got five four men in Bond and the guys like we've oh, we've only got five men for this and and what's her name she's like and you've got one woman as well like Alina. you've got you've got a lot of these comments in the films now where they're writing the script they're 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 pointedly adding these little notes in to the film now that's true. It was yeah, we've actually... also got Bond yeah. turning down a woman, which I can't remember <laughs> yeah. happening before. Yeah. And he, he doesn't do responsible very... He even seemed awkward. He doesn't know how to turn down a woman. He felt kind of weird Bond, doing it. Is it. Bond got sexually assaulted by BB. Let's, I know. He said to her, I'll just buy you an ice cream, tries to get away, and she just runs up and ravishes yeah. him at the door. You know what I mean? I it, it's that kind of way where it's like, Bond finally gets his comeuppance after all these years. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, I mean we know, we know, Rogers Bond likes them young uh, by this point. But um, I like how he has the 
you know, even she's like, he realizes, no, she's far too young. And even like when he leans his head out of the door just to check nobody's looking, see her leaving his room is quite good. And he says, yes. you put on your clothes and I'll buy you an ice cream. That's a, <laughs> yeah. a good line. Love that. Having like said that. that, I think she, may, you could say she is out of place in a Bond film, but it was it was funny to, just for a difference to see Bond turning down a woman and, and a woman that just you know isn't yeah. <laughs> just completely is not right well, for him at all. I agree. I completely agree. I think Bond has actually gone through something that a lot of a lot of men go through in their lives, where you know if you're if you've not you know been a father or an uncle to an older per- or whatever like an older person do you know what i mean like if you you can go through to get to your 30s and 40s maybe and not because bond doesn't have kids not feel like you're any different inside right but then he like you when you observe other people in their relationships you realize how much older you actually are and i think when bond like obviously she had the uncle didn't she who must not be that far off bond's age i think that made it clear to bond this is this is a bit odd do you know what i mean there's something not quite right about this and I there think, was a reference to that, yeah. Uh-huh. And I, I think, like, I mean, I, I don't know, like, I think there are points in your life where you realise you're not as young as you think you are anymore. Do you know what I mean? I think maybe Bond had a very subtle experience of that in this film, where he's met someone yeah. Who, yeah. Like, who's got an adult niece. Do you know what I mean? And it's, he's, I think that was affecting his decisions, definitely. You obviously, I think they intentionally wrote her like a child at the beginning when she's first introduced. I know she's like, Daddy, can I do this? So it was almost like that. Can I get it? Can I get this? Can I get that? So it was almost to assert that this is a really young woman. Like, because sometimes you just, they're obviously all look young. And then, but this one, they've intentionally written her to be very childlike. So I was a lot, I was a little creeped. I was like, Oh God, where is this going? This, if, if this goes to where it usually would go, that would have been like, because they've written her like a child. That would yeah. be so, but I'm she so looked older than the Italian girl from, um, What's it? The start of a couple of films ago. Really, really young looking one. Oh, oh I've not died. Uh, yeah. Yes. She looked older than her, but yeah. Yeah, because yeah, that, that one looked yeah. about 16. She, this, she looked about 19, I think. Uh, yeah. Maybe looked about 19, I think. And she was an actual skater, I think, which is was kind of cool. I don't know. To be honest, I uh, have a weird thing. I think that the, uh, the writing for the females was better in this film. So much more improved how it's been. I don't think the actual performances of the, 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 the two female characters, I thought, I really wasn't, uh, I didn't think they were great at all, actually. I found BB um, grating. Uh, you used the phrase out of place. Something I felt about that performance completely out of place for me. Yeah. And even uh, Melina, I was, yeah, I think her right, she was written really well and she had some decent lines, but I thought her delivery was very bland and uninteresting. It was really weird, right? BB was like a CBeebies presenter and the other one was like a Blue <laughs> Peter presenter. Yeah. It was really weird. It was like they were just, I don't know. Uh, just, just being plucked yeah. out of like presenting jobs and just put in the, yeah. these roles, you know? It was really yeah. strange. Did you, how did I you, must say. Do you feel that about me? Am I the only one that felt that way? No, I did as about, well. Like, I yeah. felt that too. Like I, I, yeah. The I mean, acting was a bit wooden. Absolutely. I'll give you that much. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, yeah, I don't. I thought Melina was actually really good. I, I, I actually thought her daughter was pretty. I thought she was, it was um, uh, certainly yeah. not wooden. I think if anything, um, Anya of Spy Love Me was more wooden than her. But I, no, I thought she said the lines with real conviction. I loved the vengeance angle, the fact, and she was she was great with a, a crossbow, and she that gave her that little thing, the same as a lot of the 
the uh, leading like, villains have that deformity or that little or the henchman of this little sort of weapon. She had the crossbow. That was her signature, and I loved that she how uh, you could see the 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 vengeance in her in her eyes throughout the film, and that that I needed that angle. To as well, not only Bond in his mission, but Bond Bond's mission could be compromised by a young woman out in a mission of vengeance. I thought she was actually really good. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Like, I mean, I, I, I kind of felt that that bit at the end where she had the crossbow and she was aiming at the guy, and, and Bond was in the way, and, and it just, in fact, to be fair, it felt like Roger Moore wasn't fully there either in that scene because it was this scene where she's saying move out of the way Bond and he's saying you better be ready to dig his graves and all this kind of thing but it felt like neither it felt like the two of them were just having a chat at a dinner party like it <laughs> yeah. felt like they were there yeah. on the top of a mountain about to kill she's about to murder this guy it didn't feel like yep. that it felt like they were just yep. chatting you know I feel the editing but, but it was some... but that's the director that'll be the director who hasn't pushed it out of them properly because some an actor needs that sometimes like the the the, the director might not have been pushing them in, in all the scenes because i mean well, if i was a the director i would have gone i would have gone right cut right roger for god's sake right whatever your name is this woman i'd be like right see listen see you you just your your life has been leading up to this moment right why are you talking like you're 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 asking someone in tesco where the sugar is right come on <laughs> Right, and I'd, I'd be like, Roger, you're an experienced guy. You know this matters to you. This is the law. This is the way things are supposed to be done. You're you're an agent of the crown. Blah blah blah. You know, I'd be saying that to them. Come on, you know, fire them up. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a good point. I agree with that. Yeah, I do. You know, I think that's more the editing. It's very quickly edited. See if they had a few seconds of just silence where you hear the wind blowing at the top of the mountain, just to set the scene a bit and give it that finale. Yeah, I think like for you. Um, for a few dollars more, Lee Van Cleef and Clint Eastwood at the end with the the villain Indio, and then all this silence and these long gaps. If they'd something a bit more like that to give it more of a proper finale, but it was over quickly. Even Columbo throwing the knife, and so he's the one that kills Christatos. Um, it was done so quickly. I did, but I love the fact that Columbo killed him too because there was that rivalry between them. One he one of them was really the villain portraying the ally to be the villain, you know, he's trying to blame his crimes on Columbo, so it was only apt that Columbo was the guy that killed him. Yeah, 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 I agree. I mean, I, I don't know. The only way we could blame the editing, Gordon, would be if we saw the uncut material, and I'm not sure that the director filmed it, filmed enough for any editor to use. I, I, yeah. I'm just not convinced. Yeah. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, we, we can only go by what we see, I suppose, because... We don't have the uncut reels of the film to go through and see what the editor was presented with. You know, I, I mean, I, I think um, long silences would have been great there and firing the actors up a bit more would have been amazing. I think it would have been great at that end. But I still loved the end. Like, I, I mean, even with that, like, I still loved the whole, that, that whole end sequence. Like, I'm not, I wouldn't, cr- I'm just talking tweaks that you could do to perfect it even more. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, obviously, we've spoke about the music. I think we've covered that, really. The sort of disco disco music that was used throughout. Um, uh, that was one of my main gripes. And we've obviously discussed, mainly, I suppose, the main points of the film. Is there anything else that you guys wanted to bring up, then? Um, I, I, don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I love General Gogol. I love the fact that 
that his introduction, like for the like the, I think there was three separate shots of him just staring in space. <laughs> like he didn't do anything else. He was just in the helicopter. You could just it was like he's still coming. He's coming. And, you know, it was just great. Yeah, and I, lo- I loved it when he got there and he jumped out the helicopter before it had even properly landed. And you know, I, I like I, I just like the character. He, 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 you know, that's a good actor and a good character. But he was hardly in the film and he just had that presence. You know, yeah. He's but like he's the head of the KGB, but he, he's always like a big cuddly teddy bear. There's something very likable about Gogol. Yeah, yeah. And his I, interaction I, I, with I, I, Bond right at the end, where it was kind of after he destroyed the machine, it was kind of hey, okay, we don't have it, you don't have it. Hey, laughing, uh, laughing, <laughs> back to the helicopter. <laughs> that kind of yeah, that you're right. He's, it doesn't seem very malicious for a head of a KGB. No. You know, as, I, and he's obviously trying yeah. to stop stop his underling from killing Bond as well. He practically throws himself in front of the gun at that point, yeah. doesn't he? Yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah, he, you could tell he, he didn't want to kill Bond. But I remember, of course, Bond, uh, rather than the ATAC falling into Russian hands and potentially catastrophic results, Bond throws it off the cliff. And, and it's like, although it's been thrown off the cliff, they're still waiting, looking to see if it smashes. It obviously, it's going to smash. But I, I think what would be funny if the... Um, imagine the ATAC didn't get destroyed and the Russians got it, and then they plugged into wherever, and they realized, actually, after all that, all the, the money we paid Christatus, all the salvage work to get it out, and all this planning, it's actually got a bit of water inside it, so it's actually <laughs> not going to work. <laughs> Imagine, because it's been sitting under hundreds of feet under the sea. They needed pits. Bond and Molina needed specialist deep water diving equipment to get down there, man, and uh, I, I, no, I guess it's one of these things because it was physically kind of meant to be attached to the, the vessel, the St. George's, so it must have been waterproof or something, but it just got me thinking it's been at the bottom of the sea and, you know. Yeah, well, that's that's the thing. Is that that's why they had to show it being exploded into a billion pieces after falling a thousand feet off of a cliff, you know. In slow it, it was kind of the only way. I mean, if it was a modern film, it probably would have fallen and you wouldn't have seen it and then they would have left it open to doing a world building sequel, you know, and in, in the in the greater cinematic universe of Bond, where some other agent finds it, you know. But things are left tied up. No, sorry, things are tied up in these films, aren't they? Even though it's it's going to get a sequel, it's kind of a one and done. This is it. The story's over. What just talking about the underwater sequence? I kind of want to focus on that just for a moment. I, I actually really like that. And you mentioned Fran; it was a horror. I, that's what again uh, I really liked about it. It was quite a, a, a wee bit of tension built up for there. You know, the, just from the sort of this, the way it was shot and the sort of music kind of quieting down and things like that. I think there was a, a great, great, great visuals as well. And then obviously the villain uh, character that appears. One thing I did want to ask. Why did Bond, when she he lets her escape, why does he kind of like stay and fight the guy? Couldn't he have just left as well? Would it have been as interesting for the film? I know, I know that's the, that's the answer, isn't it? <laughs> Bond just can't help himself. It's like I could escape, or I could have a bit of a punch up. Yeah, I'm going to throw a few punches, despite being underwater and the punches doing nothing because that guy was yeah. in the most ridiculous, massive kind of Mister Blobby esque um, diving suits. Yeah, no, it was, I think that was because he the the guy in the uh, the Mr. Bobby um, diving outfit had the ATAC and Bond couldn't allow it to fall into Satos' hand because he, he's planned to sell it to the Russians. So Bond gets the ATAC off and then he, the, right. dis, the self-destructing, he attaches to the diver and the diver gets 
flown to Kingdom Come. So I uh, must have missed the fact that the diver still had the ATAC then. I thought Bond had got it, and then Bond decided to, like, because he said, I'll distract him or something and let Hart escape. And I thought, I don't you just leave as well? He's not kind of like, like, it kind of reminded me of the logic Bond used in um, the last film when he was dangling it hundreds of feet in the air and decided I'll climb out of this cage uh, <laughs> and let Jaws try and attack me from the, in the middle of the air. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ah, yeah. uh, the, cra- the crazy world of James Bond. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, uh, Roger Moore then. We, we feel that Roger Moore was a, a, a strong performance overall, maybe just the odd moment where it wasn't quite, uh, maybe phoning it in a little. You, Fran, you've covered yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, it would be a, a far shittier film at the start without Moore. I think he he pulls it together a lot of the time. I think he wasn't on top of his game all the way through, but Moore at his worst is still better than most people. Fair so, point. you know, yeah. like you, I think I, I find it very endearing. I like Moore. I like watching him. We haven't spoken about the main villain. Is that telling? Well, yeah, because he... Yeah, it's... <sighs> It was like a bit, I suppose there was there was almost so many of them that kind of the the job I suppose of main villain was almost sort of shared out between three or four of them. It's hard to kind of pin down. Obviously, there's one guy sort of behind it all, but yeah, it, the, I don't know if, the, if that maybe suggests the villain wasn't perhaps that um, engaging. That, I don't yeah, know. I don't, he seemed like a, a fucking maniac to me. Like when he was trying to run them over on a boat and all that. Like, I mean, there was there was points where you were thinking this guy's off flipping rocker. By the way, I mean, he was just a, a nut job and a sadist, you know. And I mean, he, I I thought it was funny at the end when uh, Bond and that was it a Soviet guy were fighting with each other and and he's just calmly going around getting his bits and pieces to go yeah. to go away. I didn't but, do it for me. I, 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 he wasn't the best. He wasn't yeah. the best, but I mean, he was. You know, he. I think it was it was clear who was who, but there was a kind of an egalitarian, almost communist aspect to the villains where they were as was it Steve yours they were shared out. Yeah, uh, there's know. too many characters. I think I think there was probably a better script that could have been written to try and condense some of that. Um, yeah, I know what you mean because that guy Locke, who was it was the guy that um, they identified through the identogram. He was. He was essentially another henchman, so he was another one to throw into the mix. And even there was a young Charles Dance in a very low-key role as well. Yeah. But I think, yeah, I mean, going back to Christatos, who was the main villain, and that was the guy I mentioned played by Julian Glover. And I think, yeah, he was kind of low-key, I would say. But I, I would agree with Fran. I think um, he was he was quite a nasty guy he showed in that boat. The way... I, not not so much just the fact he tried to run them down the boat, but he, he tied them up, opened a cut um Bond and Melina. Um no, he didn't sorry, he didn't cut them. He says leave them no, leave them for now. And then he, he um they threw he basically keel hauled them over the coral reef, knowing that the coral reef would rip into them. You could see the coral reef ripping in them, blood pouring out, and then tiger sharks running after that was and the fact that we're getting towed along with the boat with a rope, that was taken out of the novel, Living Like Dying. To me, that is classic Bond right there. There maybe wasn't enough classic Bond moments in this film. That's maybe one of the things I'm, uh, I don't think gives it, makes it a, a great film, a classic film. But I thought that was a great sequence. I felt, um, yeah, uh, Chris Sato's a bit, a bit kind of low-key. I think that's why a lot of people don't remember him so much as a Bond villain. I mean, I... 
that's the name. That's the first time I've heard the name. I feel like, and you know, I've I've heard of Hugo Drax before I watched the, that film and things like that. And obviously, Scaramanga's and obviously Goldfinger and Doctor No and all that. But there's certain ones that you do hear about and you remember from either computer games or reading books and things like that. Cristato, yeah, that's the first I feel like I've ever heard that name. Uh, and I feel like I might have seen the film. I still can't remember. When rewatching it, I cannot remember if I'd seen the film or not. But yeah, I feel like there was just too many characters, too many assistants, but mainly villains. And it was just a bit of a condensing would have helped the script focus a bit more. Keep the action, find a way to get that, a lot of that action, but condense those characters, I think, might have been a better solution to that. that. Um, but uh, Gordon, your point about the classic Bond moments, I liked, there's a couple of moments I felt did harken back to the Connery kind of moments, like the, the casino scene I quite liked. Seeing Roger Moore in the tux playing um, yeah. whatever game it was, uh, you know, that felt like it was Doc Fano again, which I, I was totally in for. Yeah, I thought, yeah, I very much liked the casino scene. And um, I loved the way that Christatos at that point, it was so well done, I think the way he was portrayed as an ally, and that's when he introduces, he points out Columbo in the casino, who is a smuggler and he has done some bad things, but Christatos is blaming him for all the things that he's done. He says this guy smuggles heroin, they call him the dove, he um, he sells things to blah, blah, blah. You know, he basically all the nasty things that he's done, he blamed on Columbo because he wanted him out of the way. And I think it's so well done the way it showed Columbo had Bond recorded because it was his casino. And, it's, and Columbo, you know, the guy with the moustache, um, he um, eventually Bond is kind of captured at gunpoint and you think he's in the villain's lair, he's on this big yacht and he gets carried into a room to meet him face to face. And you think, That's, well, obviously I know it isn't. I was all younger when I saw it, so I maybe didn't see this side of it, but up to that point, it feels like um, Julian Glover's character is one of the good guys, and then it's the tails are turned, and he, and he and Columbo says to Bond, no, it's Christatos, you want not me? He takes Bond to his warehouse, he shows him the opium, he shows him the diving equipment, which shows that Christatos is the guy responsible for, you know, for all the salvage stuff, to see the attacks, so I love the way that it's the first time I think that happened with two kind of key um, actors. One is portrayed as the villain, one's portrayed as the ally, and then they're topsy-turvied. And I also think Columbo's a great character. I think he's like one of the more kind of charismatic allies, you know, again, maybe harks back to, like, say, Kevin Bain from Rush With Love. Yeah, yeah. Did he, um, did he murder the girl? Did his guys murder that? Did I fall? I wasn't sure if I missed something there, but they dr- they ran over her, didn't they? Oh, on the beach in the truck. Yeah. So that was his yeah, guy. No, that wasn't Columbo's. It was Stato's dueling Glover's character. Right. Okay, that's fine because I was trying to work out are we now pally with this guy, but he is kind of also responsible for that. Right. Okay, that's that's just me missing that then. Because um, these guys just always there was always these henchmen in groups just appeared all the time. I mean, I liked it. The action was good. The action was good. Uh, and, and that's another comparison to From Russia With Love there, God, which I can, can see. I feel like it's a mishmash of a few different films on Imagine's Thunderball and uh, From Russia With Love. But yeah. Okay. Before we get to the rating, is there anything else you guys want to raise? I thought we saw quite a brutal bot. That, um, one scene that kind of stuck with me was when he, he kicks the car off oh, the yeah. cliff with the guy inside it. Glad you brought that, that up. That was quite a 
a brutal usually you see Bond kind of toying with the main guy before doing whatever but this would just kind of look him in the eye kick the car straight off it was interesting that um, Roger Moore uh, really did not want to do that his, he felt his Bond wouldn't do that and I think yeah. it was the director and Broccoli or whatever had sort of insisted no I think you should do it and they eventually convinced him to do it he didn't want to do it yeah, I, I can that kind of see why, choice. I suppose, because it, it does feel kind of it's different to anything Bond's ever done before, so I can kind of see how he'd go, you know, I, I wouldn't do this. But also, it goes against what he then says to her at the end, but he's kind of a hypocrite by that point, because he then, you know, talks about, what is it he says to her? That, like, don't kill them, you uh, let the Greek authorities, or whatever, the yeah, authorities take yeah. It's exactly, like, yeah. So, he's just murdered a guy in cold blood that he could have saved. Yeah, and he's going to say that been- and that was vengeance because um, Bond, remember Bond tosses that dove pin believing that, you know, that he'd left it and said you left this with Ferrara. Ferrara, yeah. you know, the ally, the Bond that was, it looked like his throat cut was pretty brutal. So Bond was basically, it seemed there that Bond was killing Cold Blood because he was avenging an MI6 colleague. So yeah, he is a hypocrite. Yeah, because he then tells her not to do the same thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which are the- Pick up on, uh, yeah. Fran, what do you think of that? Sorry, I was literally in another world there. I thought so. Say that again. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> I'm just, yeah, I'm just thinking about something. All right. We're just talking about obviously how Bond uh, <laughs> was a hypocrite, and uh, he kills the guy by kicking him off the cliff in the car in cold blood. And then later on, he then gives the sort of speech about, you know, we'll oh, take no. him to the Greek authorities oh, and, it, you know, dig two graves if you're going to do the revenge kill. And it's like, well, you just did it earlier, you know? Bit of a yeah. hypocrite. Yeah, it's a bit hypocritical, to be honest. I mean, and, and you know, it's the fact that he, And also, in fact, what was the name of the, the girl again? What was she called? The one that he was arguing with about killing him? Melina. Uh, Melina. She shot a henchman and then oh. saved his life earlier on. Uh, like, I think like, I think they were both forgetting what they'd done earlier in the film. Uh-huh. Like, <laughs> the script you know, kind of forgotten some of this stuff. Yeah, I mean it's it is a bit hypocritical. I think Bond Bond is a character maybe is quite realistic in the sense that he's very good at taking the moral high ground when there's people watching. You know, and I think all um, of us, if we were honest, yeah, we're all <laughs> a lot better at that when people are watching us. Mm. Most human think- beings find it easier to do bad things when nobody's around. Nobody's watching. Uh, I think that's possibly also why the film didn't, they, that emotional kind of sentiment didn't come through for me at the end because you had been watching them killing all throughout the film and then suddenly it's like, we're going to make you care about this this one. Yeah. It just didn't quite add up for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because he, because he's the main villain, he's worth it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, no, he can go to the authorities, kill all his henchmen, kick yeah, them off yeah. the fucking cliff. Yeah. This one's going to jail, though. Yeah. <laughs> Kill the wage slaves. You know, the ones that are just drawing a paycheck. You know, yeah. in fact, that's a question. What are all the henchmen doing just now in the middle of Corona? Are they getting help off the government? Like, all the world's henchmen. Like, do they? Are they just at home, but unable to get money? <laughs> like, they oh, have no. They're on the same self-employed. They're one of the five million that aren't getting any help. So there'll yeah. be there'll be protests outside Downing Street. Oh, by the way, did I did I tell you guys that? Um, the one people, the one group of people we should be thinking of in this crisis are burglars. <laughs> burglars are out of a job because everyone's in all the time. I know. <laughs> there's, there's no way for burglars to rob a house. 
So, in fact, I, only bur- the only people who are getting burgled would be burglars that are out case, trying to case houses, because those are the only houses that are empty. So we have to support them. Yeah, we have to yeah. support the burglars. And I'm in silence for them. Yeah. Uh, okay, I think we've uh, on that note, we will come to the rating. If there's anything you want to further raise, just mention it in your rating. Uh, who wants to go first? Gordon, I'll choose you. Oh, but by the way, are we doing half stars for this again still? Yeah, you can yeah, we've introduced yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, we've moved on. I've kind of accepted the half star. Just one small point before we go into the rating, because this doesn't come into it, but the Countess Combo's mistress who oh, yes, has run right. over, that's Pierce Brosnan's ex-wife, who she died in the early 90s. Oh, yeah. Oh. yeah. And Pierce Brosnan was on the set for quite a bit of that film because uh, she was involved in it. You know, like a lot of the scenes... You wonder how much, how young he must have looked because he still looks young in Goldeneye. Goldeneye was yeah. five, 14 years later. I so know, like, and, and there was talks they were trying to get him for the Dalton films in the late eighties. You know, it's like you wonder how young he would have looked. They were probably asking him where his mum and dad were. Like, Who's <laughs> this child on the set? Uh, also, have you got ID there, sir? <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, I think we're good to go. Gordon, you want to start then with your rating? How do you yeah. want to rate this one? For me, it's a four out of five. I loved yeah. the serious nature of this film, and I really liked Roger Moore's serious side. I think it came across well. He's, uh, where he was particularly serious, that that meeting with Columbo and learning that he was an ally, um, the dialogue, it, I just thought he pulled that off very well. Um, I, I and I think it was a watershed moment. Obviously, when we were kicking the car off the cliff, but I thought he looked great in that scene. The 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 dawn filter, the darkness, and even when he was standing in front of the car slowly, it's that classic James Bond gun pose, which I'm doing right now in camera, pointing it right straight down the middle in that wee tunnel. But I thought he, at times in that film, I think he he looked the the dog's box. That scene I mentioned on the beach, that scene there. I thought I really liked his. I do think it was one of his better performances. Um, I love. I agree with Fran. I loved the 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 danger of the climbing up the mountain at the end. I thought Columbo's a really charismatic ally, and I liked his his look as well and moustache. I don't know. There's something very endearing about him, and, and I really loved the whole shift. I don't think Christatos was one of the best villains, but the he was so slimy that he blamed Columbo for all his crimes, and it turned out it was the opposite. I thought. The way it built up to that, at least halfway through the film, you know, really endeared me to it. I just like the down to earth tone. There's a lot. I don't. I think it, in some ways it lacked a classic feel, but um, there was a lot of um, things that remind you of this series. Spy used to get in the novels. Yes, I mean, the, I found it hard for a. You know, it took me a while to think about it to find what things I really didn't like. I think some of Bill Conti's music doesn't work so great. And I feel to see to really give this a classic Bond feel. This film, I, I think. You need that John Barry score, and uh, it's it's mostly down to the likes of that. And I think not only Christatos, but the guy who you said Steve looked at Liam Gallagher, Locke, who's the henchman who runs down the countess and the beach and all that, and he slits the guy's throat for that. He, um, I felt him. Now he, I love the fact he was a silent henchman, but I think him and Christatos lacked a bit of development. If like Christatos got a bit more screen time, he actually looked dangerous when he was an ally when he meets Bond at the ice rink at the beginning. He's got that fur coat, he looks like a proper fucking Bond villain there. But then later on, when he's on the yacht, he just looks like any old rich man in a yacht. So you know. But 
on the whole, yeah, I love the down-to-earth and stripped-back tone of this film. And here's just a final point as well. The, the St. George's, that, which supposedly is a spy ship, maybe I'm missing something here, but if something as important as the ATAC that can basically direct Polaris missiles, why is it just on board some fishing vessel? I know. I like the idea of... I, I get the idea of... You know, in the spy world, things are hidden away, places you wouldn't expect. But I, it just got me thinking there. That's one little point I just had to bring up. Some point, but yeah, I'm, I, I really just like a major this film. plot hole. That's all. <laughs> I, I wouldn't even call it a plot hole. It's like a curiosity. You know, you know how every so often I just bring out these little nuggets. I just just thought I'd <laughs> bring you that one up. Fair enough. Yeah, uh, Fran. Yo, I'm actually going to give it a four as well. Okay. Yep. Now let's. Yeah. The reason for that, I'm taking the fifth star off because of the first part, but I like the last part so much that I'm going to give it a four because I, I, it was that good. Uh, it sounds crazy because usually you might go for a three and a half or a three if you're if you're talking about the first half of a film, but it was so good. It was you know I'm almost kind of grading that section of the film like that's that that's the film in my mind is that whole that that final stretch. And the music was great at that that point, and it was really kind of it was it was almost I don't know it was it was very intense, and very enjoyable at that point. And I love Roger Moore. Like I enjoyed enjoyed watching Roger Moore even in the sections that maybe weren't the best as well. So probably I I wasn't even expecting myself to give it a four until I, I was listening to Gordon. I was thinking, well, you know what, I'm going to give it a four because. Just, I guess because I gave uh, Moonraker a four as well. Moonraker was silly as hell, and you know I enjoyed it more than than obviously Thunderball. I gave that a three, didn't I? So, yeah. So I've kind of I feel like it's going to slot into the four category for me because it had a bit that really resonated with me, and I, I enjoyed it. So yeah. Okay. All right then. Four and a four. Steve, where are you sitting? I'm sitting just below that. I'm going to give that a three actually. Yep. Um, I agree that the final thirds of the film is kind of where it was at. That was that was really enjoyable. I thought Moore was brilliant in this. <clears throat> Excuse me. I really enjoyed his performance. Um, yes, he's definitely one of the better ones. I completely agree that some of the stunt work, the that climbing scene particularly, was fantastic. I can't doubt that. The skiing stuff as well. Although the ski chase, I felt, went on a bit long. It just kind of just kept going and going. It was a bit like the, the speedboat chase, but oh, I, I can't yeah. deny that it was... I can't deny that it was impressive. I kind of don't like the fact that it basically ended with this this piece of tech that the entire film for a good two hours had been fighting over, which just kind of destroyed. And it was a case of, well, none of us have got it. That's it. It basically ended in a, a score draw, which I, I just, that was slightly underwhelming. Yeah. The soundtrack did, unfortunately, it was just so jarring at points. You get these great stunt scenes or great chase scenes or great tension scenes. And there was this, what we now consider kind of 80s cop chase music. And I, again, it was, it'll be of its time, I imagine, if TV shows weren't using that kind of music already. That probably inspired a lot of the cop shows of the 80s. But it's in that, I, I suppose, watching it from a 2020 perspective, it just dated so badly, it just didn't work. So well, there's, there's, it had bits and pieces going for it, but for the most part, it was it was just too kind of middle of the road, I think. So I'm, I'm sticking with a three. Yep, yep. Uh, I am also agreeing with you, Steve. Uh, it's a three for me. Um, 
it is kind of overall middle of the road for the reasons that bring it up. For me, as I said at the beginning, the stunts were fantastic. There was plenty of them, different types of stunts, amazing car chases, skiing, the rope climbing at the end. Um, yeah, so I there was a whole plethora of fantastic moments that brought the film up for me. And yeah, I liked Moore. I think there was a charisma that he obviously brings naturally. There was a moment in the car chase, I remember, where Moore... Like the cam, the villains are side by side, and it's just that sort of sideways, slightly arched eyebrow that he gives the guy, like a kind of knowing. It's not quite a smile, but there's a sort of look that just. Ah, it's a of, nod, isn't it? Yeah, I quite like that. It was that kind of. It's a, that this is a Moore film, and that was the moment where it's like the film is saying, "Yeah, you're watching Moore's Bond," and I, I kind of like that because it was still part of this chaotic car chase and and the sort of kind of rubbish cars you know so that was cool um for me when it really falls down steve you covered that the music absolutely did not work for me it obviously did pick up towards the end and there was moments yeah. i will give bill uh bill conte was it bill conte was his Gordon? Yeah. uh his soundtrack he obviously got moments you know and that, those moments where it picked up were the moments where you he introduced a bit of brass that had this sort of john barry feel so you know you kind of wonder like someone else could have done better i think his his style like steve covered i won't repeat too much but essentially as of the time it might have worked for the at the time but it didn't work for me watching it i really really found it difficult to appreciate what was i was watching when i was listening to some of it um the performances of the two uh two females unfortunately i didn't i didn't really find engaging at all and also i felt way too many characters Everyone felt a bit two-dimensional. I didn't feel anyone's fleshed out right across the entire board, from henchmen to um, the the main villains and the females as well. I just don't think. I know that there there was backstory and things like that, and there was the odd scene, but I don't feel like nothing really gripped me with the character moments. There was no classic lines that I could I could remember and say, oh, that scene that you know that's the scene everyone talks about from For Your Eyes Only, like. Maybe and it's the stunt scenes that I would be talking about if I was to talk about it. So that's that's why it doesn't have a classic feel. So yeah, that, that's why it sits in the middle. It is not where nowhere near as um, bad as Diamonds Are Forever in the two scale where you're actually talking about a bad film and there's not much going on for it. This was still a decent film, had its moments, but uh, it didn't quite stack up. So it sits in amongst, I would say, The Man with the Golden Gun for me and things like that. The lower end films, but with significant flaws, but something that, that propped them up. In that case, Scaramanga. This case, fantastic stunt sequences. And it had an yeah. 80s action film feel to it, which I could appreciate. I felt <laughs> like I was cliffhanger with Bond, you know. Um, so that, that was kind of cool as well. So overall, yeah. straight free for me. Uh, Another yeah. point I wanted to make, sorry, Steve, was... Um, how it fitted in the context coming after Moonraker, because I think it coming from that, it did what it had to do. How? What? I think we've all seen Moonraker. I mean, we, how do you guys feel this was as a follow-up to Moonraker when people said it got a bit out of control? I can see they reined it back. Did they perhaps rein it back a little too much? They thought, right, we went completely over the top. Now they've kind of gone a little more in the opposite direction. So hopefully by the time the next one comes along, they'll have found that kind of happy medium. Yeah. But it's, I mean, it's, it's definitely, I mean, this is polar opposite. This is worlds away from Moonraker, quite literally. Um, 
thing is, I, I actually, if I'm honest, I think I enjoy Moonraker more than this. I think I, I love Moonraker. That's the thing. This felt a little bit too scaled back. Yeah, I kind of enjoyed the madness. Yeah, this one for me, I think if they scaled it back, it would have been more like a quieter film, like from Russia with Love or Doctor No. Although I rate those much higher for yeah. what they are, but. They still had madness. It was just a different kind of madness, mostly in stunts. But yeah, it didn't have the the comedy was certainly stripped out. There was not many one liners, and they weren't well, they weren't really funny. The ones that they did have, I don't really, I didn't find myself laughing at intentional funny moments. I don't know if that's just me. The Margaret Thatcher scene at the end um, was madness, I suppose. Uh, yeah, we haven't I presume really... that made sense at the time. I mean, she, yeah, she was PM, so to an audience at the time, I reckon that will have been hilarious as a send-up of the current PM. And the same way we'd probably laugh at Boris Johnson being sort of sent up in a sort of similar style. It's weird they actually had a real current Prime Minister in the film. They usually have this sort of version of it that's their own Prime Minister in the film. It's just weird to have her. I don't think they name her probably, but it was clearly her. Oh yeah, so, yeah, it was clearly. It was so yeah. funny actually seeing um, our husband Dennis like wandering the shot. <laughs> And just look gormless and get his hands slapped. So he's trying that to get was just unreal, yeah. I should yeah. steal a little bit of fruit or a Brussels sprout or something. Yeah. But, I mean, uh, that, that was like a weird end to the film. Like, that, that was tonal shift change, wasn't it? I mean, that was like spitting images, you said, Fran. That was uh-huh. like, like... Yeah, weird. it was. I felt like that probably should, could have been changed. It didn't work for me again, but yeah, strange end to the film. Okay. I think we've uh, I think we've 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 dug deep into this one. I'm kind of feeling that we've not got much more to say on it. Overall, two four stars, two three stars. That would seem a generally positive experience. Now we are more than ha- well more than halfway into the Moor era. We've only got two films left. Octopussy is next. I'm looking forward to this. We'll hopefully get that one scheduled in. Yeah. So I think we are good to go, guys. Thank you for joining me. And uh, yeah. See you next time. Yeah. Thank you. Well, uh, well, whether or not we'll see each other or not, I don't know, but virtually yeah. we'll all be here. Yeah, yeah. thanks. It's, it's uh, been a bit of an oasis, I'm sure, for us all. But for me, anyway, been involved in this because it's been it's been quite hard times recently. Yeah. But it's mm. been great again, guys. Let's let's do Octopussy. Yeah, yeah. we'll, we'll um, cover the film. <laughs> okay. All right then. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs>